Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Miles Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Miller. We are now on episode seven, which is crazy to think about. And I have the pleasure of having Tarun Verma, and he is the director of a movie about infertility called Conception. And I had actually watched it last night and was very thoroughly impressed with the portrayal of infertility and the mental health that I definitely recommend people to watch it for sure. So the interesting thing about Truman is that he's a fertility pharmacist and a film director by night. Welcome, Truman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I'm always intrigued about how people in general learned about infertility because often it's through their own like diagnosis of infertility, but I'm just wondering from your end, like, how did you learn about infertility? Got it. So, um, you know, I had been a pharmacist for probably about five years at the time. uh, And um, I constantly was bouncing around. There's so much in pharmacy to learn, just like there is in medical school. Mm. In medical school, you know, you become a doctor of one particular specialty. That's what you do. With pharmacy, you can kind of bounce around and you can kind of learn a lot. And so I was learning this, that, and the other. And it was really by chance that I fell into fertility. And when I did, I just realized how much of the common pharmacists didn't know about fertility drugs, the fertility process, any of it. It's, it's like you said, if you don't go through it, it's a, it's a totally, it's a different bubble in its own. Mm-hmm. And so when I got into it, I was fascinated by it. The cost of drugs was up there with cancer drugs. I mean, it was insane how much fertility drugs cost. It blew my mind. I'm like, oh, it can't be too much, right? Progesterone injections aren't too much, this and that. And then you go into going to left and Menopure and you Cetratide and you go into this stuff and it's like, Oh my God. And then the more and more I got into this world, I just, it's kind of like a science nerd in me just kept going Mm -hmm. further and further into it. And then, um, I'm really good with patients. And so the pharmacy, uh, was starting to see a lot of fertility patients. And I I took the initiative to just kind of learn as much as I can. I would go and visit with, uh, IVF physicians, um, and OBGYNs and talk to them about fertility and learn. And the biggest thing is, is when the patients start coming in, they'll start asking you questions. And the last thing you want to do as a pharmacist is say, I don't know. So, you know, they were asking me questions left and right. And I'm like, oh, crud, like I need to become a subject expert matter very quick in this if I want to be beneficial to my patients, if I want to help them. So I started learning everything. And then, you know, from everything, from from the price of the drugs to the fact that a lot of doctors kind of tiptoe and will tell you get your medications overseas because it's significantly cheaper, right? Officially, mm-hmm. I can't say that, but, you know, and, and I can't officially say that doctors told me to, to tell patients that, but it's a reality of it. You right. go overseas, the medications are like a fraction of the cost. Now, the medical procedures all still stay the same. You know, you can't really do those procedures outside the country. That is kind of in-house. Yeah. But it just... Ex- the amount of money couples pay to have children, it is something that really struck a chord with me. So I never went through anything having to do with fertility, but it just affected me really hard to see this. And that was it. it there was no going back. I mean, I, for the next two years, I was immersed into this world. I I uh, did so much education training and I tried to help as much as I could. And it was um, it was it was, it was a, it's a grueling process. Because there are some happy stories that come of it, and then some not so happy stories. 
And that's, you know, and it's unfortunate because I don't think that in my entire time, there was ever a couple that I met that didn't deserve to have a child. And that's just so heartbreaking. All of them are great couples, great people, you know, and it's just, it, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the, like the cost of it, and it was funny because like when I watched your, your movie last night and doing the shots, I mean, I instantly comes back to memory of like the dial. I'm like, oh, that's got to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yep. like, you remember, it's like, it's like, like it was yesterday yep you know like and it's crazy to think about like the managed pure you know like and remembering like mixing the stuff together and yep. mm -hmm. yeah and like the cost of it you know it could i mean it's a crazy thing to think about is you're already paying quite a bit of money for just doing ivf and now you're yeah. putting yeah at least two or three grand on top of that you know just for medications yeah. And that's conservative. That that's a good yeah. number, to be honest. That that's yeah. you know, it's it's very, very it's much higher than that. So yeah, it's 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 just a very, very crazy world. And then I, you know, when I looked into the drug companies and why they were pricing things that the way the way that they were, it was to me it, it's ridiculous. It's very, very ridiculous. But they know that they can because insurances, for the most part, very few insurances in my time right. I saw will cover the procedure and the medications. Um, others all considered elective. So it's all out of your pocket. So they know that they have you. And this is one of those areas where it's like, if you want to have a kid, this is what you have to spend. And so people will, right? This isn't yeah. like, hey, I can't afford a Mercedes Benz. I'll buy a Toyota, right? You, you know, there, there's no right. coming down. It's It's an all or nothing thing in fertility. So I feel like the market and the industry kind of has couples locked down and it, it's, it's really unfortunate. So, yeah. And I think that there's been a lot of other States cause there's only 19 that have like the mandated fertility coverage, mm -hmm. you know, where insurance has to do. I know Wisconsin is trying to do that right now, which is where I'm from. Um, like building family was building family, Wisconsin, like are trying to get legislation passed to help with access. Because if you think about, like I just think about like minority populations, like and just people in general. Like I, I had heard a statistic like if you're make if you're making a hundred thousand dollars or less, you cannot afford IVF. That that's actually very true. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and like you think about how many people do not make a hundred thousand dollars or more. Yeah. You know, like it is you know an, an access issue. Well, it's it's a socioeconomical issue as well, right? So people yep. who have money, the wealthy, can afford this. And then those that don't have the means for it that are, you know, now nowhere near poverty line, but, you know, they're doing well, but they're not doing well enough. I mean, IVF is, is it's expensive. And then you take it one step further and we we leave the realm of IVF and you're doing surrogacy and things like that. Forget about it. For, it's oh, yeah. so expensive to do surrogacy, right? So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting conversation to have as to where the government should kind of because the insurance companies, they don't want to pay for this stuff. That's that's the bottom line. They don't want right. to do it. It's so expensive. They hate paying for anything as it is. And I, I don't know, just have it forcing the government to have them to kind of push legislation, I think is an interesting thing. I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know where this is all going to go. I think it's all it's all fascinating. Yeah. Well, and reproductive medicine is probably the most current field of medicine. Like it's only been around since what, 1978. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the first IVF child born was 78. So when you think about OBGYNs and cardiologists, you know, like, and how much has gone on in that field, you know, it's been around for years and generations. And looking That's at true. I think the, there, there was a, a line in the film where they say, um, I, I wrote it in there specifically for that reason, where uh, getting pregnant is like a moving target. That's what it that's exactly kind of on mark where, you know, you can take the medications, you can take this and that. However, everyone's body is different. It responds differently. It acts differently. Even what race you are really, you know, changes up your variability in, in your success rates. And it is incredibly difficult. So, yeah, you said it, it's a new it's a new art for us. It's a new science for us. So we're still learning. We, I mean, you know, even mm-hmm. using fertility drugs, your percentage rates are really low. And then, you know, the interesting thing is once you you have a child via IVF, the odds of a woman getting pregnant the second time are infinitely higher. We don't understand why. It, it like it's almost yeah. like, okay, the body, I guess, sort of prepared for pregnancy, got pregnant and delivered. And now the, the body's just sort of primed to accept another pregnancy. I've had so many friends that have done that. They, they, they've they they've struggled through IVF and then they finally had that kid. They finally had their kid. And then within a year, year and a half, got pregnant again, naturally. And it was like, mm. oh, and but that's a normal common occurrence. We, yeah. we don't know. We don't understand why. We have theories, but we yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. There's only so much that we can actually tell. I remember a lot of pillar doctors you know, when couples would do transfers, you know, and at least the one that, you know, did our transfer, he just said, like, it's up to God's hands at this point. There's only so much you can do to help facilitate that meeting. Yeah. And really, from that point on, like, still don't have, like, the answers or reasons why. Like, why does it not work? Why does it work? And yeah. we don't know. Yeah. And then that, that's kind of the, the way I wanted to, and I don't want to spoil the ending for anyone who's, who's listening, mm-hmm. but, you know, the main reason uh, at the end of the film, when they kind of talk about it, it's it's not her, it's not him. It's that's the thing. I didn't want to paint any one person in a bad light. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- these are both people that I think you should be able to empathize with. Like you should understand where the guy's coming from and what all he's done. And then you definitely understand where she's coming from. And then, so it, there's no bad guy in the movie. It's just the yeah. situation that they're in. And and sometimes it is like that. Sometimes it's nobody's fault. It's just, it just can't happen. Right. Yeah. So you're a pharmacist by day. Like, what made you want to do, like, this film? I mean, I think it's a wonderful and great idea. And I love it. But what was kind of the thought process of, I'm going to go ahead and do this film and highlight infertility. So, um, you know, I, I've been a filmmaker since I was like 18. I love doing it in college, you know, make little small films and things like that. And then I took a, a lot of time away to go to pharmacy school. Pharmacy school is not easy. And I went to pharmacy school, got trained and it came out, started working. And then you become an adult and you have to pay bills. And I, I just worked for a very long time. And then finally, when I finally had a chance to slow down. I started getting back into filmmaking. It's always been a passion of mine. However, I'm big into comedies. I love to, I'm a comedy writer, which is ironic because that mm-hmm. this movie is nothing like a comedy at all. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was making films, comedies, and they were going to film festivals. They're doing really well. And um, 
had this film that I wanted to make and we were going to have an actress fly down from New York to do it. And then I think it was April or March of 2020 happens where the whole entire country locks down due to COVID. We were supposed to shoot in April, I think it was, and the country shuts down at the beginning of April. And I I was just jonesing. I was jonesing to shoot something because, again, I'm a pharmacist. 90% 90% of the time, 95% of the time, I rarely, I rarely, I make a movie once a year, once every two to three years sometimes. So I was just jonesing. I was so ready. And so I had this idea for a fertility movie that I wanted to do. And there was, and and everything that you kind of saw in conception was based off of everything my patients had told me in a HIPAA confidentiality proper yeah, way, of course. For sure. um, but th- those were all stories. Those were all trials and tribulations that my patients had told me about. And it always had been just swimming up in my head. And, um, you know, for a while I didn't write it. And I, I think there were a million reasons not to do it. One, it's uh, it's a woman's story. Who am I as a man to, to tell this story? I, I, you know, for a long time, I was like, I'm not going to make this thing. There's going to be a film I'm going to watch a week from now, a month from now. And it's going to be a woman filmmaker who's going to tell the story and she's going to probably do a better job than I would have done. And so I just waited and waited and I would write my little comedies. But then when um, COVID happened, I was jonesing and that was the only story that just sat with me. It didn't leave me. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to write this thing. Even though I don't want to make it, uh, people will probably come after me for it and say, hey, you know, a guy making a movie about fertility, like, get out of here. This This isn't right. But I wrote it and my wife read it. She was like, this is compelling. This is very compelling. And then I had a, and then I showed a couple of other people. I have an inner circle of, of people and they're mm-hmm. mostly all women um, who, who read my work and they, they read it and they go, this is great. And I go, yeah, but I still don't feel like I'm the proper person to say, to, to tell the story. And they go, no, 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 you are you're the fertility pharmacist like you are there you've helped so many couples so many of those stories you've told us before are weaved into the narrative of this film mm-hmm. you are absolutely the right guy to make this movie i had never done a, a drama before right i'm a comedy guy so yeah. i went okay as a director this is very interesting to me to to approach this completely new and um the guy kareem who plays vic he had been in a movie with me before so I knew what he could do and I knew he could get there. Mm-hmm. And um, Simran was a new find when we were doing the casting process. That's when I came across her and it, it was COVID. Nobody had anything to do. And we would just workshop the scenes week after week after week. I mean, it was fun because, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. Everything was shut down. So we just started running these lines. And both of these characters are not ma- uh, both of these actors are not married. They don't have kids. You know, IVF and pregnancy are so far disconnected from them that I literally almost had to walk them, like take their hand and walk them through this journey of mm-hmm. what couples go through and how they feel so that they know how to act, how to act it out. And so that was really fun. And they they did a phenomenal job. And when we started doing these scenes, people would kind of come in, my inner circle would come in and watch the scenes and these actors doing it. And they go, and one by one, every single person said, you got something good here. I mean, they're giving you gold and mm-hmm. that was it, man. And then, you know, we, we went through, we shot the whole thing. It was, it was pretty amazing. And um, who knew as a comedy writer, I'd come to really like doing drama, but I really did enjoy the process of it too. It's funny how like major events 
kind of like push you to do things. Yes. Because it's it's ironic because like I've literally been reading a book called Nonsense and it's like The Power of Ambiguity and is by Jamie Holmes and or yeah, the power of not knowing is what not ambiguity, but you get that like the idea. And he was talking about in California when San Francisco had that humongous earthquake. And it was like the 30s or 40s, you know, whatever, way back in the day. He said people were starting to get, you know, either get married like, or they were getting divorced. And he, he was saying like, because of, like this catastrophic event, like that does not make any sense to them, like to in order to resolve like kind of like the unknown or an event that does not make sense of why this happened, people will try to resolve the issues by doing something that you want to do, right? It's more of a driver. And I had recently, yeah, actually this recently happened to me because like my, my best friend's mom passed away on the 29th of January. And I have been literally talking about leaving my job and trying to find something else. And it was like a week after that, that like, I found a job at, like, and it, I ended up just shooting the gun and now I have a new job coming up, but fantastic. But it was, it, you know, to me, I kind of look back and I read that. I'm like, that kind of makes sense because that was an event and trying to make sense of everything. You resolve it in your own way by, okay, now I need to do something about it. But no, so on a sense. very roundabout way, COVID probably was the catalyst to like, I'm finally going to do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, what I was going to shoot originally was supposed to be a rom-com based piece. And so mm-hmm. when that went away, it was like, this is the only story that was up here. That was swimming around up here. And it was like, okay, I have no excuses now. We have all the time in the world. We're all shut down. Let's write it. And I kept thinking, I was like, okay, I may not have to make this thing because I'm going to see this on TV one day. I'm going to see it. Someone's going to do it. No one did anything. So I was like, okay, let me let me go through and and, and do it. So a movie did did turn out, you know, great. And, and, yeah. and the response has been fantastic across the board. Fertility and the non-fertility world have, have, have liked the film. So. so what was it like to educate the main male character, Vic? Like it was, health piece of it, just because I think from the male piece, right, that's something that hardly ever is talked about, right? But you got you did an excellent job of portraying the male side of mental health, you know, of infertility. But like I said, I'm just curious about like those conversations. What I really wanted to do, uh, you know, and it was half um, for fertility, half for the other side of filmmaking, which was I wanted to, I, I didn't want to portray the man as a typical alpha male. I, I don't like, yeah. you know, I'm not that kind of male myself. So I don't like to write those roles. It's just, you know, maybe if they let me make expendable six, yeah, sure. I'll write that. Right. <laughs> right. But, um, but the one thing that I thought was so interesting is I wanted almost a role reversal. I wanted Amy to be the one who's really more alpha and I wanted Vic to be this character who's more beta under her. And mm-hmm. by doing so, you unlock so much more of his uh, emotional side. And that's what you need to be able to tell the story. I mean, 
he's he's such a great actor that I was like, I can unlock this. And this this just gives me a great reason. I'm giving you this great character who's sensitive. He's vulnerable. He's supportive. Right. You you could have easily turned this movie into one where it's like the man doesn't understand what's going on. And there's a lot of yelling going on. It's like that was tried and tested. And I hate cliches as a filmmaker. Right. So it was like, let's give him a, a sensitive edge. And so when I told him that it clicked to him almost immediately, he goes and he's not and he's not like that at all. He kind of is like an alpha male. But as an actor, mm-hmm. he was like, that is so interesting to explore that sensitivity to it and and, you know as the film progresses and progresses and progresses it's almost like you almost kind of turn the tables you're seeing the film more from amy's side in the beginning and then towards Mm -hmm. the end you start to see more of the film from his side and i just thought it was a little bit more interesting that way not i didn't want to luckily no one has said anything about this but i didn't want anyone to go oh you short changed uh amy at all Um, but by portraying the male so much, but it just, I found it just to be more interesting as a writer because the audience, I feel like has seen a woman go through it, right? Either, either (laughs) they themselves who are watching the movie have seen it themselves, go through it, a friend go through it, but rarely do you ever see the man go through it. And I I just thought it was so interesting. And some of my favorite scenes are the ones that are just focused on him. And, and, and you just see the you know, the veins and his muscles twitching and the, the stress really built up in his face. And uh, it was just, it was awesome. And he, he took to the assignment really well. Yeah, absolutely. Like he did a phenomenal job of portraying that and the frustration and like the, you know, what I've always said, like we're all professional hoop jumpers, you know, because you're trying to get insurance to cover something, you know, like, and you know, that's the trial and tribulations of the ups and downs of IVF. Yeah. And everything. So I'm assuming that one of the biggest things that you were trying to accomplish is to kind of, like we said before we start recording, was more of like getting that awareness into spaces that necessarily infertility has not been in. Well, it's just, you know, for a long time, fertility was a closeted issue. You know, I'm South Asian. Amongst minorities, it was a faux pas issue. Like it's a very taboo thing. Mm-hmm. You don't talk about it. It's embarrassing. A lot of women associate that with a decrease in their self worth, right? If you can't right. have a child, what good are you as a woman? And so, um, but now as a society, we're starting to see people become more and more vocal about it and normalize the discussion. And so, I remember the first draft when I wrote this film. Uh, my wife goes uh it's too it's too medical based it's it's it plays like a how-to on how to go through fertility in terms of like a science thing yeah so she goes you need a different angle and then when i zeroed in on the emotions and the emotional core rather than the actual medical piece then it was like awareness awareness and sort of showing the reality of it and then two just making a compelling drama right at the end of the day we this is a film like we want to get it far you, it, if it was just an instructional and an educational it wouldn't go very far i wanted the mass to be able to see this movie anybody who could sit down and go for the ride yeah it's a little bit of a a dark ride but it's compelling and it's just good filmmaking at, at one at some point and so yeah that that was the that was the hope there so yeah that the vehicle that you like the media that you use like the film People can sit down and watch that, but you know, like you don't have to have infertility 
to develop an understanding or an awareness of like what that might be like. And I think amongst the people that have gone through infertility, on some level, I agree that unless you've gone through it, you truly don't know what that's like. But part of me disagrees with that, though, too, because I've never had cancer. But I can imagine what that would be like if I was diagnosed. Right. And I think it's the same thing like that we could do with infertility is like they may not have infertility, but we can maybe have an understanding of like what that might be like. But I think it's I think it's a huge shift for people because historically, if you think about like sex education, we've all been told you can have sex once and get pregnant. Right. And it instills this narrative that getting pregnant is super easy because and then you're avoiding it most of your adult life. And then once you start building your family, it doesn't happen. They're like, what I've been told my whole life, it just happens like this. Right. Right. So and I think that's been for people that haven't gone through it. I think it's a hard thing to understand is because they've been told getting pregnant is really easy. That's true. And then, you know, I think there and then when you when you take it a step further than that, for a couple to be able to digest the fact that you cannot have a child, I think that is really hard. I think that's really hard for anyone outside of that the arena of fertility to really understand. You know, it's kind of like so you you talked about cancer. I think we can all sympathize with cancer. However, can we really sympathize with a cancer patient or can we fully empathize with a cancer patient? who's stage four and is terminal. Nobody can. Only the people that have either the loved ones that have been around one who has stage four cancer, because that terminal means you're going to die. Meaning right. you are going to die. That's like, as much as I can be sympathetic to cancer, I don't think that I can step in that situation and say, hey, I can provide support to someone who's stage four, right? right. That's just, that. that's what I feel like in fer- fertility is as well too. It's when you you know, for, for a long time, I think the common public can, can be on board with it. I, I've had a lot of women. There was one instance, actually, where we were at a film festival. And afterwards, a woman came up to me and she goes, hey, listen, it's a great, great movie. And, and um, you know, I, th- I thought she was a fertility patient. I was like, hey, you know, OK, great. T- tell me about, you know, you And she goes, no, 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 I'm not a fertility patient. She goes, you, your film made me realize how shitty of a friend I was to my friend who was going through it, because at some point, you know, because th- this thing doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even happen over two, three months. It takes several, several months, right? And so if you're a, a friend or something and you don't fully know the extent of this stuff, at some point, month seven, eight, nine, you're kind of like, yo, snap out of it. Like, come on. Like, I don't want to be around you because it, it is honestly true that people going through this have this sort of cloud over their head. Like, it just, it's hard to kind of be like, hey, this weekend, we're just going to go get drunk and have sushi and just forget about life. Like, it's hard. It's it's this right. cloud sitting over you. And those that don't know it, the best friends and the friends, at some point, their empathy and their sympathy stops for you. And and it could because they just don't get it. They right. just don't get it. Right. And that, that so I wanted to kind of speak true to that part, too, as well, and bring a little bit more depth to that and say, hey, this is more intense than you think it is, you know? And, and yeah, the response from some people that I got and like that lady, she was just like, I'm going to go call my friend after this. Like, this is, this is like, I feel horrible about some, maybe some of the things I said, not that she said anything terrible, but maybe some of the things that she said kind of flippantly, she was just like, I feel so bad about it now. Yeah. And I think you did an excellent job of interweaving the common 
latitudes are like the anecdotal evidence the saying so you can have my kids or enjoy your sleep while you can you know couples going through infertility would love to not have any sleep they would yeah. love to have you know the different lifestyle change that you have to do as a parent and you're also i mean acknowledging that some of these couples have been at this for years and you're kind of you know i have this image on instagram where it's somebody walking in a tightrope and you have on one side you have hope and the other side you have despair yeah. and you're really in the middle of trying to balance that you don't want to be too hopeful because you're going to fall and crash but then you're also worried about being in despair because it's, no one wants to be in that state of mind no you know I mean, so it, that balance yeah. act yeah it, it it is it's it's and you know all those things again it, even even the funny bits they were all things that i wanted at every facet of this film to be true right so yeah, yeah couples and, and and that just goes kind of goes to show you what we were talking about before you know when the friends are like oh honey you could have one of mine and it's like those are common things that are said that seem innocent to the party that said it but it's actually kind of insulting and kind of a jab to the couple going through it, right? Right. Um, and you think you're comforting them, but it's it's not comforting to say that stuff. And so even those little things, I was like, you know, if you pick this thing apart, I wanted it to be just accurate down to the bone, to the DNA of what this process is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because the odds of success are very low regardless. You know, you could you could do it four, five, six times, right? If you're lucky and you have the money. But um, you know, hope is the one thing that at every facet of the process, your your nurses, your doctors, the uh, the surgeons, the pharmacists, uh, the counselors, the social work people, they want to maintain hope. And that's what we have to do for that population is maintain hope. Now I know my field doesn't really go that extra step when it comes yeah. to that. You know, I don't give the um, cookie cutter uh, ending. I gave an ending that I thought was realistic, smart, yet still hopeful. So I still kept it hopeful. Yeah. And, and, and it is, it is a hopeful ending. Uh, and you do walk away kind of with this sort of semi-sweet smile with it, you know, when the movie ends, but um, it doesn't happen exactly the way you think it happens, but it does. Uh, and so, but hope that is, that's the thing we cannot take away from this population base. And, and we have to maintain that. I've talked to fertility advocacy groups. That is their number one goal too. You know, I've approached fertility groups to say, hey, you know, if you can use this film um, to help fundraise, to pay, to raise funds, to help pay for couples go through this, like, let's do it. Anything to give hope. That's that's kind of the big key there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I have one last question. Yeah. What words of advice would you have for men that are going through this fertility journey? I would say, you know, first and foremost, put her in front of you. You know what I mean? What she is going through, if you think you, you're going through it and it's bad, imagine how much worse it is for her. This is a woman's issue right? I love that you have this podcast and you're taking a different angle on it because men do go through it. I've seen a lot of husbands come in and they're on top of it. They're like this, 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 that, and this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, men always retreat to a very rational place when mm -hmm. things get tough. Women don't always. And so the thing is, is that 
their body is being taxed, their mental is being taxed, their spiritual is being taxed and tested. And as a man, it's it's happening to you too, but you have to first and foremost be there for her, right? In whatever way that she needs support, you need to you need to really open up your ears and eyes during this journey and say, hey, my wife is starting to lose a little bit of hope. That gleam in her eyes is going, I need to do everything I can to get that back. Or um, my wife's body is going through a toll. Like we need to go to the doctors, maybe take the initiative. Maybe she's trying to power through it and say, Mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm fine. I could, no, let's go to the doctors. Let's see if we can maybe scale something back. It's medicine. You can always custom tailor it to the person. So if it's getting a little tough, scale things back. You know, in the movie, Amy's like, I'm going to try again, almost right after the time she failed, right? Women tend to do that. Be the guy that maybe if you think that she needs a little bit of time, be the one to step in there, but don't take control of the situation, right? She comes first and foremost, and then you come, you, you know, second. Yeah. So be there for her first. And I think that's the most important thing because I, most of my patients that I talked to were women. It, the got the really great guys I think I, I I got to know, but not all the men I got to know in the process because it was only the women that were coming in and they'd have a long list of questions and this and that that they were doing, and they were the ones on top of it. So it's almost like the man was off working doing his thing, and the woman was battling this all alone. And it was, it's when you see how tough that process is. Having a great partner, I think, makes all the difference. And so as a male, be that person. Be the person who's like, okay, she's going through it. I'm going to give her her space. No, that's that's not the right approach. You need to do this hand in hand together. And whatever she needs, you are there to provide her with the backbone and the support because that's the only way it happens. Because if she breaks, more than likely your marriage won't survive either. So you right. have to prevent her from breaking. And you can't. You have to prevent yourself from breaking too. Yeah. No, that's definitely great advice. And being able to find the things that you can do to help mm-hmm. you know like for my, my wife and i i was always the one to get the calls after mm-hmm. like the results you know transfer and all that stuff yeah and because she knew like she's like she was so anxious about it. she's like i can't handle it i can't handle those phone calls and mm-hmm. stuff and i'm like okay well have them call me you know like i can really whatever you know it's finding those things that you're okay with doing and being there and helping you know where you can exactly yeah exactly yeah well Tarun, i i really appreciate your time and i highly everybody out there i highly recommend sharing it watching it any way that we can get people more aware about infertility and what better way than to just watch a movie and like I said, yep, like thank you. Really, and really an excellent film and a really accurate portrayal of infertility. Thank you so much for having me. It's on Amazon Prime Video right now. So if you have a subscription Prime Video, you can now watch it. That happened very, very recent. So it's amazing to be able to get on a massive platform. That was always my goal is to tell a story like this and then get it on, you know, Hulu, Netflix or Prime Video. And we did. And that that's a big testament to how good this film is. So please go watch it, go support it and, uh, you know, share it with your friends. And hopefully along the way you learn something. And that's, you know, that's the goal. So yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This was great, man. Yeah, thank that was you. awesome. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to the Miles Podcast. The Miles Podcast is on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Overcast. If you could like, rate, subscribe, and share the podcast to help other men or other couples find it, it'd be greatly appreciated. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter for updates on future episodes and more content related to infertility and family building. As always, if you'd like to be a guest, please message me on my social media or email at themilespodcast at gmail.com. And I hope that you will continue this miles-long journey with me.